0: We're in first John chapter two. Last week we covered verses one and two of First John chapter two, but I'm going to go ahead and start there uh, and take a look this morning at verses three through six. But beginning in verse one of First John chapter two, it says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Father, we ask that you'd speak to our hearts this morning, that we would consider your word and how we should apply this to our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would Just continue to fill us with your spirit that we might receive from you this morning. We thank you for this time of worship and to be able to commune with you at your table. Pray, Lord, too, that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would speak through me. Lord, help me to edit out the things that you desire that I don't say and to, Lord, bring to my remembrance the things that you desire that I do, that you do want me to say. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to be instructed by your word this morning. For we confess that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Boy, does John pulls no punches on this one, doesn't he? I'm looking again at verse 4 when he says, He who says, I know him uh, and does not keep his commandments, he is a liar. Now, John did not go to politically correct school, did he? But nonetheless, you know, this is... This is meek and mild uh, John, John the mystic, John who, who laid his head on, on the breast of Jesus, uh, that John, the, the John that, you know, he, he was uh, really the apostle of love. And, and as Paul tells us, at times we have to do what? Speak the truth in love. But nonetheless, we have to speak the truth to, to people. And not only do we have to speak the truth, But we first need to be in a place that we hear the truth. If you don't hear the truth, I don't know how well that you really can speak the truth. Now, there are those times where God gets a hold of someone and uses them in spite of them. Let me even back up just a minute. God always uses us in spite of us, doesn't he? Always, all right? But there are those times that he really gets a hold of us, and we see this in the Old Testament with a donkey name. well, his name isn't named, but he was Balaam's donkey. I will defer you to the King James if you like, and you can take it from there, because it has a little bit different word than donkey. But nonetheless, God used that donkey to speak to his wayward prophet, and God has been speaking to his people through donkeys, I think, ever since, take that any way you need to, but if you are going to be a speaker of the truth, you first have to be a hearer of the truth, just like when James says that 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 uh, to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only, less what you deceive yourself and and so we we have to be in a place to where we look at a passage like this, and we first and foremost ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts pertaining to what it says, and and because I, I I've. And this is this is where this is a very difficult passage. This is a very sticky passage, and it is not my intent to to cause people to want to doubt their salvation. But I think it's very biblical that that we are told to examine ourselves. Most of the time, we don't really want to examine ourselves. We want to examine other people. And. What's interesting about examining other people is that you can put on blinders and you can see about them the things that you really want to see, and then you omit seeing the things about yourself that you don't want to see, and you look pretty good. We have a tendency to really, when we compare ourselves to other people, we have a tendency to uh, to uh, hold ourselves in a very positive light, but. John here is talking about this idea of being assured that we are in the faith. And I think it's important for each of us to revisit this. Perhaps we're in the faith, but we're not living like it. Or maybe we are sort of, I like that word, kind of, that's a 20-something word. Actually, that's a 30-something word. I've been using that line for about 10 years, so now it's a 30-something word, right? We're kind of living in the faith, outwardly. But what about the inward life? What about the inward life? And, and I, I remember, I've, I've talked with people, I just remember the, the things that they've told me that, and, and I asked them that question, and, it, and it's like, well, if it wasn't for this person or that person or that person, I understand at times. Because in talking to people, when they tell me about this person, that person, or that person, What they're basically telling me is that those people are jerks. And you know what? Usually I agree with them. Usually I agree with them. But I also know that Christ has called us to walk above that, to rise above that. That Christ uses these people. I I wish we would just grow in our faith at night. Don't you? Kind of like, you know, you you just kind of plug it in and you go to sleep and you wake up a better Christian. You guys are with me on this one, aren't you? (laughs) And and you got these people, the people in your life, and and even what makes it even worse sometimes, I don't know if I'm going on a rant here or not, but anyway, sometimes the people in your life, the ones that you love the most have a way of stinging you the hardest. You get that, you know, especially uh, kids, right? (laughs) Yeah, as they get older. God bless them, you know, and and I'm not I'm not speaking from. Of course, I'm speaking from experience, you know, but uh, but but the thing is is, is, is sometimes those are the very situations that 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 the Lord is allowing to happen in your life because He's using that to continue to shape you into the image of Jesus Christ. And to me, that's not always very comforting. Because I'm thinking, uh, you got another way you'd like to do this? Don't you feel that way? I feel that way. Wouldn't you rather just, you know, hey, you know, do something good for me. I'll be better to you. It doesn't work that way. And a lot of times we have to go through the trials of life to be able to purge out the impurities in our lives. In other words, to purge our own self out of us to make us more like Christ. Does that make sense? It doesn't, and it's not fun. And it's, it's, it's never fun. Um, and, and yet at the same time, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. We know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And, and so, it isn't what you profess so much as how you live. Now, I understand that, that everybody, everybody's got issues, right? Everybody in this room has issues. And they're not that bad, believe me. I, you, you didn't see my last church, but that's okay. Anyway, but, but each of us have those areas of our flesh that we wrestle with, that we struggle with, that, that over and over again, that they just seem to come back and bite us in the backside and, and, and just kind of seem to attack us. Partly is because each of us have a bent, a a inclination. You know what I'm saying? You know, uh, some people are very easygoing and then there's people like me that aren't, right? You know, and, and and so you you have the we have these personality traits and Satan knows them very well and he knows how to push your buttons. And particularly if you've come off the heels of a very difficult week and you haven't been very successful in your Christian life for that week, and you read a passage like this, you're like, Oh no, maybe I'm not even saved Which is something that you really do need to work out between you and the Lord. And and have this, this sense of assurance. I, I remember I I this this guy that I that I was friends with in my late teens. Um, I was a different guy back then, but anyway, we did a lot of music. Um, he wanted to play in bars and things like that, and, and uh, I was too young to even go into them. Uh, and he had made a profession of faith; he'd received Christ, but he didn't live like it. Now he had a lot of lot of real serious issues that, and and uh, whenever he would drink. Too much, those issues would come out, and it was, it was very strange to be around him. Um, but he lived his entire life that way. Uh, and, you know, he ends up moving away. He goes to, to uh, somewhere in the Midwest, and he, he really died at a, a very young age. A good friend of mine uh, was his brother in law and went and did his funeral, and everybody was concerned with this guy. Because his lifestyle did not measure up to that of a Christian. And they were like, you know, you're going to die. And you've you got to receive Christ as Savior. And he says, I did that. I, I, you know. And then he finally told my friend, who was his son and brother-in-law, he said to him, you know, everybody here thinks I'm not a Christian, but trust me, I am. So what do you do with that? Okay, you, you take a person at, at their word. He says, I know I'm going to be in heaven. He says, believe me, I also know that I'm going to die. And I also know that I have really done badly in my life. And I've confessed that. And Christ has forgiven me of that. And I've only got a matter of time left. But I know that I'm saved. So I hope he was correct. I hope I see him one day. It would be nice to play with him instrumentally sober for a change. Right? (laughs) Okay. But... uh, John is saying here that we have to look at our own lives and compare how we live with whether we are truly in the faith. Not only how we live, but how we think. Now, the mind is the biggest battlefield, is it not? And boy, I, I'm not even going to do an illustration for you because then you think the guy's a little schizoid today. But anyway... Um, uh, but it is, it's, it's the biggest battlefield. And, and, it, and sometimes it's not so much what you do or don't do. But it's the thoughts that you entertain. It's the attitudes that time you have. And even worse, it's the attitudes that you have toward those rotten people in your life that you wish God would just straighten out. Right? And we all have them. We all have them. And what makes matters even worse, as I said before, I probably agree with you on some of those folks. But when I read this, my reading of this passage, first and foremost, has to be taken into my own heart. By this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Commandments. This remember now, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, particularly, we've been talking more about the parts of speech in the Greek language. This word keep is in the present tense and in the active voice. Okay, present tense is a little different than English. It means something that is continuing. All right? Without a a a a view toward the ending of that action. All right. So If we keep his commandments, it's continuous. If we live a life that's keeping his commandments, and that's what concerns me about my friend that I shared with you who passed away in the Midwest, because he did everything but that. But if we keep his commandments, and also in the active voice, it is is you, you are the one who is doing the work of this. So it, it, this idea of our life in Christ, it, there is, and I know that there are different views on this and there's different thoughts on this, but I, I believe that, that our, our, our spiritual formation is done by the Holy Spirit. Our, our sanctification is done by the Holy Spirit. Our growing in Christ is done by the Holy Spirit, but we have to show up. We have to submit to what he's doing. Now she end up like the children of Israel, 40 years running around the mountain, going around and around and around and around. Which each of us probably at some point in our life have done. Because sometimes we just, we either don't want to let go or we don't hear, we don't perceive. And, there, and th- you know what, I, I, I think about these things and all I can say is, thank God God loves us. You know? And, and as I'm getting older. I'm becoming even more appreciative of the fact that he loves us. Which we're going to look at the following weeks. Because if he loves us this way, then we ought to love each other that way. And that becomes even much more challenging. So we, if we keep his commandments um this, this, this word commandments, uh, now, when you think commandments, let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand. When you look at the Bible and you think commandments, do you think 10 commandments? You can shake your head if you want. Do you know? Okay. That's not the word that's being used here in the Greek. Okay. It, it, it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to interpret this or translate this if we keep his commands. If we keep his commands. It's a the word that's used for commandments in relation to like the Ten Commandments or the law. Which is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis through Deuteronomy is known as the law. That would be a different Greek word that's being used here. So John here is not necessarily referring to the law. Although... The law does play into this. I'm not going to take the time to, full, you know, unpack that idea. But but I would say that the commands of Christ, you see at least nine of them, possibly ten of the Ten Commandments given to us in a v- different form in the New Testament. But to make matters even more difficult, and I read through them last night, and they just, wow, it just impacted me again. When I read the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. And, and, and bless are the poor in heart, for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. And and the, the calling that we have, which is really a much higher law in, that's given to us in the Beatitudes, because why? The Beatitudes do, do not talk about the external behaviors that we do, the physical behaviors that we do, but it talks about the, the, the attitude or the, the posture or even the spirit of the heart. Who we are internally. And and how we are to live a life internally. And and so this idea of commandments or commands. It can, can be an order. It can be a charge. It can be a precept. And these are the things that, that we read about in the gospels. That we read about also in, in Paul's letters. And John's letters. And, and other letters that we have in the New Testament. And and uh, Jesus tells us in John chapter 14. Verse 15, if you love me, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, that would be the New King James version of that. In the Christians uh, 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 in, for goodness' sake, also my mind went blank. Uh, Christian Standard Bible. Okay, I'm back. All right, in the Christian Standard Bible it would say, If you love me, keep my commands which is really a better, I believe, a better translation because it's using the same Greek word, entole, which is used here in 1 John chapter 2. If you love me, keep my commands. And, and Jesus was asked in the book of Matthew, we'll take a, a quick peek at this, Matthew chapter 22. Um, right around verse 36, although I, you know me, I like to back up a little bit for some context. You would think by now I'd figure that out about myself and put it in my notes, but I haven't. But uh, we'll get there. Yeah, go to verse 34. And, and uh, I can picture this scene that Jesus is being surrounded by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and religious rulers and they're just peppering him with questions and they're they're not wanting to learn anything. They're just looking to trick him up. So in verse 34 of Matthew chapter 22, it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. They were looking to do a little bit of one-upping here, all right? Then one of them, a lawyer, uh uh-oh, that's a red flag, isn't it? Anyway, I'm sorry about that. Uh, But one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now this word commandment here he also uses, it's the word entole as well. It's not the other word for the Ten Commandments. He wants to know what's the great commandment of the law. So Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. They didn't know what to do with that. You will love the Lord your God below your heart, your soul, your mind. And the second is like the first. You will love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commands, Jesus says, hangs the law and the prophets. What does he mean by that? Well, I have a picture in my hallway that our son and daughter-in-law gave me years back of, of our dog. Um, Jack, and I was playing fetch down the hallway with our other dog, and uh, for some reason that, that pitch just got out of control when I hit the picture as I threw it down the hallway and I took out the picture, right? It was hanging on two screws that held the picture up, right? So I grabbed the picture, was able to put it back and hang it again on the two screws, and those that picture is being supported by those two screws. Let's use that illustration as far as what Jesus is saying here. The law and the prophets could be that picture which is being supported by two commands from Jesus to love your Lord God, low your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two screws in the wall that hold the picture in place. Those are the two permanent things in your life that hold how you are to interpret God's word and how you are to live out God's word in your life by loving the Lord God with all your heart, your mind, your soul strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? That I'm not going to get into really this morning, but I think your neighbor is anyone that you come in contact with. I've had good neighbors. I've had not so good neighbors. How's that? That's, that's a nice way of saying it. I've had good neighbors and not so good neighbors in, in the time that I've lived, um, in, in the various places that I've lived. And yet, as I love God, then I'm called to love my neighbor. Now, there are times that I can only love my neighbor because I love God. All right, you follow me? Some of you are about to start laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about in your own life. I can love you Lord and so because I love you I'm going to I, I'm going to do that which you called me to do. You uh, know there are times I feel like in, in my life with certain folks I feel like Jonah, you know. Jonah gets called to go preach and none of it he doesn't want to. He goes the other way. God heads him off. Um, causes a big storm. They throw him out in the sea. He's swallowed up by a big fish for three days, three nights. You remember the story. Finally, the fish spits him up, and he goes running for Nineveh. Boy, he must have had quite a religious experience inside the belly of that fish. And he goes to Nineveh, but he's got a bad attitude because he goes marching through there and saying, 40 days, and you guys are toast. It's a paraphrase, of course. But he walks into Nineveh and says, 40 days, and you guys are under judgment. And then he goes up in the hill because he wants to watch the fireworks. You remember the story? What happened? They repented. And what did Jonah do? He was mad. He was mad. Now, there's some reasons for that. Personally, I can't necessarily blame Jonah to read about what the Assyrians were like. Nineveh is part of Assyria, okay? But nonetheless... See, his heart separated from God's heart at that point. Not that he lost his salvation, but his heart separated from God's heart at that point. He no longer loved God in such a way that demonstrated that he was doing the commands of God. Inwardly, he was an angry man. It's a very interesting read. It's a very interesting book. The greatest commandment is that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the, and then and then John takes this even further. He says, "He who says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him." See, when you got a big Bible thumper Bible like mine, you can really do some damage, smacking people with it, right? I love this Bible. Anyway. I I mention that because the thing is, again, guys, we need to take that internally. And I think sometimes we read that and we project that onto other people, and it may very well be true about them, all right? Sometimes it may very well be true about them, but do you have the heart of Jonah toward that person, or do you have the heart of God toward that person? Are you angry at the prospect that they might repent and get right with God? Or do you have the heart of God that says it is not God's desire, it is not God's will that any person person should perish, but that all should come to repentance? And so I, I think, yes, this verse speaks about the human condition and people who are deceiving themselves. It's, you know, we see that in the first chapter Said, you know, where, where John said... Um, uh, now I can't find it. Um, okay, verse 6. Uh, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... And, and do not practice the truth. We lie and, uh, and do not practice the truth, it says. Um, so he, he's hitting that home again. He's saying that you're, you're deceived. Or even further in chapter 1, he says, if you if said that you have not sinned, uh, we're making God a liar. Now John's saying you're also making yourself a liar. Why? Because I think that there is something in, uh, ingrained in the human heart, that we have a conscience. That we understand right from wrong. Now, we may want to obliterate that still, small voice. We may not want to respond to it. We may not want to acknowledge it because the the, the uh, sin is pleasurable for a season, the Bible tells us, right? But sin is pleasurable for a season. I always like to leave that hanging for a bit to get people's reaction, but but that's why people don't come to Christ because they want to satisfy their own flesh. And and so, um, when we deny that truth, when we say I know Him, yet we have no intention of living in the calling that He's called us to live as His children then we're lying. We're lying to ourselves. And the the, the, the issue with that, guys, is is that that we can come across this problem even in our lives as Christians where everything is fine and then everything is not fine and, and... we hit those crossroads. You know what I mean? You hit those crossroads in life where, where you know that I'm either going to turn right and go the way that God wants me to go or I'm going to turn left and go my own way and, and I'll figure it out later. Now, thank God that, that he gives those detours and he calls us back into his path. I've been on a few of those. Most of you have been on a few of those. But but this, this, this idea of, of um, if we say we know him, But we don't keep his commandments. He's a liar and his truth is not in us. And so this this really does speak to me. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a bad tree bear good fruit every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire therefore you you will know them by their fruits or excuse me therefore by their fruits you will know them verse 20 is where i really wanted to land not everyone who says to me lord lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father in heaven many will say to me on that day lord lord have we not prophesied in your name cast out demons in your name Done many wonders in your name, but I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you practice of lawless, you who practice lawlessness. Notice he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Not, I knew you once and then you fouled up and, and so I kicked you out of the pool. But here, here you, Jesus is speaking here in Matthew 7 and you have these people that are incredibly self-deceived. Notice they did heavy-duty works, too. Because the context here is false teachers. They did heavy-duty works where where they prophesied in his name. They cast out demons. They've done many wonders in the name of Jesus, and yet Jesus says, I never knew you. If we get one thing right in life, guys we have to get right our relationship with Christ. We have to get right our relationship with Christ. And and be in in, in a place where we are quick to repent of our own sins. Because I... I I think of sin sometimes as as sedimentary layers, okay? A little geography lesson here, right? Sedimentary layers where you get a layer of sin that kind of gets put over the top of your heart. But if you don't confess it, then some more sin gets laid on top of that layer and on top of that layer and on top of that layer. Pretty soon you have a very hard heart pretty soon you have a heart that 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 makes it difficult for the spirit of god to really penetrate not that he can't do it but you get to a place where you just really don't want to hear it you just don't really want to hear it and and Paul talks about this idea of working out your salvation in fear and trembling and, and to, to to be sure that you are in the faith. But also recognizing that it is God who is within us. Because even as, uh, with the Christian, with the unconfessed sin that becomes this sedimentary layer over the top of our hearts, you still have the, the Spirit of God dwelling in you who can break through that. You still have the Spirit of God who is in you, who can break through that layer of sediment. One one of my practices that I've started doing is several times a week, I've, I've told you this before, I read Psalm 51. I read it as a prayer. I don't read it for you. I read it for me. This idea of say, uh, of being short to confess my own sins. You know, I, I, it's bad enough that I'm going to be, I'm a pastor so that, you know, held to a stricter judgment, which means I'll probably get stuck in the pastor section of heaven. I've told you that before, which would be like hell. But anyway, um, sorry. Go back to Matthew 7. You'll understand what I'm talking about, all right? But the thing is, is I don't want to be a liar before God. And when I get wrapped up in my anger, when I get wrapped up in my disappointment, when I get wrapped up in my unfulfilled desires when I get wrapped up in those goals and those dreams and those, those purposes and plans that I have that may or may not ever come to, to come to fruition, and, and when all those things start to take a, a, a predominant place in my heart, then I neglect to be able to really hear what the Spirit of God is saying to me as his child. Because anger and disappointment and discouragement can be an incredible body armor for the heart to prevent the spirit from penetrating. No wonder it is that Paul tells us how we're to put on Christ. And uses the analogy of putting on Christ, like putting on putting on clothes. But but when we when we when we gather our own our own um, our own sense of priority, our own sense of purpose, without incorporating God's will in it, then it becomes like body armor to prevent the voice of the Spirit to really speak to you. I love the story of, of Elijah. I don't know why I'm going here, but I love the story of Elijah when he, when he runs to Horeb. And I'm just going to make it real brief. But, but, but you have, have God in the fire, and or he, you have he's in a cave and he's hiding out and he's looking for God in the fire and he's looking for God in the whirlwind. He's looking for God in these loud, really strong physical manifestations and the spirit of God was not there. Where was the spirit of God? You guys know this. It was in the still, small voice. The Spirit of God was in the still, small voice. And you have to quiet yourself daily to be able to listen to the still, small voice. That's, that's what's so important about this idea of having a quiet time to be able to get alone and to be able to read the Scripture and to be able to pray and to be able to open your heart to hear the things that the Spirit would say to you directly, specifically. Verse 5, but whoever, and I'm running out of time, so I'm going to sum this up quick, and I may just start back in verse 5 again next week. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. And he who abides in him ought to himself also walk just as he walked. In some regards, you could also look at this little passage as John taking two extremes. Of what not to do, but also the goal of what to do, the goal of where we should obtain. Whoever keeps his word, do you keep his word? I would say yes, at least probably sometimes. All right, you grade on your own scale. I'll grade on my own. How's that? All right, but but. I, when I think about this idea that if I keep his word, if you keep his word, truly the love of God is perfected, that it is made complete. That's what this word perfected means in the Greek. It means to be made complete. Is your the love of God made complete in your life? Only you can answer that question. I would answer it for myself saying no, but I, I I'm hopefully getting better and better and allowing the Lord to continue to perfect or complete his love in me. Does that make sense? Still growing. That means you still get to put up with me, all right? But that goes two ways. But anyway, but but the love of God is made perfected in him. By this, we know we love him. Now, to sum this up, you don't demonstrate your how do I say this? I started off on the wrong foot. Um, your lifestyle is a demonstration of who you are. In other words, your life will, will give the clue to who you are as a person. You don't keep God's commands so that you prove that you are a Christian, it is because you are a Christian that you desire to keep God's commands. Does that make sense? Now you're going to fail? Yeah. You're going to fail today? Yeah, probably. But again, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, we get back on the track we get back in the relationship. I don't care how bad of a week you had or how bad of a day you had or ba- how bad of a morning you had. Confess and move on and allow the spirit of God continue to do that work in you. And, and verse 5 actually becomes a goal. Whoever keeps this word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. So I may not keep your word completely. I may not keep your word totally. I may not keep your word 100% accurately, but I am pressing toward the prize, Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. I'm on my way there. That's my goal. That's my purpose. That's my plan. More than that, that's my heart's desire. That's my heart's desire. So the question is, What's your heart's desire? What is your master passion? What is that thing that has been put in front of you that that you are striving toward more than anything else? It's my prayer that it would be as Paul, again in the book of Philippians, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. You won't do it perfectly. You hope, and probably other people around you hope that you do it better, right? But this is the goal that we've been given. Truly the love of God has been perfected in us because we kept his commands And as we walk with him, this is key, as we walk with him in keeping his commands, it is there that he comes alongside of us, shoulder to shoulder, if you will, and continues to teach us, continues to change us, continues to mold us, continues to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we have showed up by being obedient to what he's called us to do. Does that make sense? I think I could have said that last sentence and probably omitted almost everything else. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be obedient to your commands. That we would love you with all our heart, soul, our mind, and strength. That we would love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, I would add even our nasty neighbors. You would help us, Lord, with that. Lord, help us to just to allow you to conform us into your image. Help us to allow you to do that that life-changing work that you desire to do in our lives. Help us to be available to to grow in Christ. Lord, we recognize, again, that the, the, the actual work of growth is something that is done supernaturally by your Holy Spirit in our hearts. But we have to show up to allow you to do it. We pray, Lord, that those two great commands would be that the the hanging points of how we interpret the rest of your, your scripture. That we would love you and love others. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to grow us in our most holy faith. For thy great namesake, we ask. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.